Many of the components included in the governor's bill around juvenile justice seem to mirror that of proposed legislation your office had introduced this session, including the extension of probation, forwarding certain cases to SAO, but one not included was this intake process bill you proposed requiring any juvenile charged with a crime of violence, gun-related charge, or motor vehicle-related theft to see a judge, a magistrate, within 24 hours of charging. Why, Mr. Bates, is this so important to fixing the system? Well, a couple of things. First of all, thank you very much uh, for having me. It's an honor to be here with um, the governor and my partner, uh, Aisha Brayboy. Um, that was our joint. Uh, it wasn't just Ivan Bates. It was both of us sitting down and saying, these are the things we want. And so one of the things, though, that we talked about is we have large jurisdictions. And for instance, when we look at car and car theft, motor vehicle theft cases, in 2022, there were 87 that were charged in Baltimore City. In 2023, it was 216 charged and over 250 arrested. So for us, the 24-hour window is very important. It allows us, one, to figure out what's going on with this young person very quickly, to try to get this young person's services very quickly, but also allows us to be able to reach out to the witnesses and the victims and the police to put together a very good, solid case to hold the perpetrator accountable. We want to do those two things. One, make sure young people can have the services, but two, but really also number one is make sure the public understands what's going on, they're involved, the victims and the witnesses are able to be a part of the case from the beginning instead of the end. Uh, Ms. Brave Boy, uh, one of the things I really respect about the governor tonight, when we were planning this some time ago, he said, you know, we cannot have this town hall unless we have the state attorneys, Ms. Brave Boy and Mr. Bates, because there are issues that they work while he works at one level, and you guys communicate constantly, he was adamant that you join this panel tonight. So, so, you know, the current law allows for DGS, the Department of Juvenile Services, to have up to 25 days to forward cases for charging to your office. Now, the governor's bill reduces that wait time to 15 days. Will that be instrumental in helping to hold juveniles accountable? Oh, absolutely. And let me just say, we have a tremendous governor. Our governor understands the importance of accountability, as he mentioned, on all levels. And I think what that 15 days uh, gets us is a DGS system who's working rapidly uh, to determine whether an, a case should be forwarded to the state's attorney's office. And then the state's attorney's office now knows about this case uh, quicker and we can then coordinate with the victims of the crime as well as any, uh, the defense attorney and anyone else who is uh, going to be involved in helping to rehabilitate the youthful offender. Really, rehabilitation should start on day one. That's what the juvenile justice system is about. And so the quicker these cases move through the system, the quicker we can get these young people into programs and hopefully on their pathway to success. Well, you know, understanding that you both agree with the bill initially introduced by the governor and the Democratic leadership, what are some of the components that cannot be eliminated during negotiations or something that should be included that wasn't initially? Because it's one thing to have the bill now, governor. Anything can change between now and April and the time 
of the passage. Ms. Brayboy. So for me, it's being able to have more flexibility with probation. It is really important that our young people uh, are accountable for any rehabilitative services that are offered through the Department of Juvenile Services. It's important that they take advantage of those services. And it's also important that the Department of Juvenile Services has those services ready and available for the young people as well. But uh, young indivi uh, individuals who are in our juvenile justice system are responsible to the court to participate in mandated activities to help them become better citizens. And if they have not completed that within the prescribed period, being able to extend that period of time should be available to a judge uh, without any uh, issues. And so it's really important that we have that flexibility, we maintain that flexibility within our justice system. And I think that was an excellent uh, inclusion in this bill. How do you, I know you're an advocate for lowering mass incarceration, but how do you balance that with what the governor has said yeah, you can do that, but there's some young people, when you have 90% of the crimes being committed by 10% of the same people, recidivism is almost at 60%, you have the same offenders, obviously you had to have an evolution to say, something has to change here. Well, I have never believed that individuals should not uh, be punished, and punished appropriately. Um, we have held people accountable. Unfortunately, we've given young people life sentences. I mean, that this is uh, the world in which we live in. We have victims who deserve justice. We have a community that deserves safety. Uh, and we have individuals who need to be taught a lesson. So all of those things are true. But what we know is that 95% of the people who are arrested, prosecuted, and convicted are coming home. And so the question is, how are they coming back to us? So while I believe in appropriate punishment, appropriate sentencing, I also believe that we have to give people a realistic pathway to come home and be stronger and better citizens. Governor, your comment? I, I, I could not agree with her more. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm thankful for the leadership uh, of showing what that looks like in action. Because it's true, uh, you know, we do have a situation that uh, the vast majority of people who are incarcerated, we have to remember, they are coming back home at some point. Right? And so how we're thinking about their rehabilitation, how we're thinking about preparing society for their reentry, it's going to matter. Uh, we have to make sure that for people, that people have a pathway for rehabilitation. We have to be clear that for these repeat violent offenders, that, that you know, there is, there, we are coming for them too. And for these people who are preying on our children and trying to utilize our children to do their work, that we are going to hold them accountable to the full extent of the law. And at the same time, we do have to remember that we are not going to militarize our way to a larger and a safer society. That it has to couple, the accountability and rehabilitation are two things that are coupled together in order for us to get to our larger goal. Uh, Mr. Bates, do you have faith in the DGS Secretary Chiraldi? Are there other employees or components of DGS that you feel are part of the problem that currently exists? And how are we leveraging federal um, the dollars, the federal investments, because the resources that government uh, provide is important. And who deserves the credit for the drop in these hom homicides? Well, you know, you, you asked me a number of questions. Uh, <laughs> yes, I know, did. <laughs> first, I'll go ahead and start with uh, Secretary Schiraldi. 
you know, I've had the opportunity to sit down. you don't down. have to be polite because it's bosses. <laughs> we respect truth. Here. Yes, okay. yes. Speak you know, I did have the opportunity to speak with Secretary Schiraldi, and while we weren't always eye to eye, we, we found common ground on a number of issues. Based on that common ground, I'm one of these, you know, I, I'm going to believe you at your word. But what I do know is that his boss is the governor. Right. And what I do know is that the governor will do what the governor needs to do because he is committed to the people. So I'm not as worried about Secretary Schiraldi because I know who the, who the boss is. And uh, Go ahead, please. Um, and for me, the governor has already set out the path of holding young people accountable. And now if Secretary Schiraldi decides that that's not what he wants or he has other people that he's hired who, who to be honest, there, there's a couple of hires that are a little concerning. But at the end of the day, that is the path that the governor has charted. And this is the secretary that he selected. I will support my governor because I believe in his choices. But I also know that having spent many hours talking to the governor about what's going on in the juvenile system, that he is committed to fixing DJS and that he will do what needs to be done. When you have that commitment from the governor, then you feel that, okay, this will get done. Educate us. Obviously, a year or so ago, homicides in Maryland and Baltimore was just off the charts. Yeah. All of a sudden, it dropped. Everybody wants to take credit. But the Bible says give credit where credit is due. Walk us through how the U.S. Attorney, Eric Barron's, you, Ms. Brave Boy, Mr. Bates, and the governor were able to put everything aside and come together under one brother with his leadership. How did you make it happen? And how it can be a model for others? And how will citizens continue to see that they don't live in fear, their children not threatened, they don't have to worry about, they walk out to the car, there's more car theft, more carjacking. How do we continue that trajectory and how did it come about? So the first thing we all did was we listened. We listened to the people uh, that were impacted by crime. And then we talked to each other. What we said is that we are committed not to point fingers, but we are committed to coming up with real viable solutions. Um, and so what we did was we talked to the governor and the governor had an uh, open mind and an open door to us. We said, hey, here are the resources we need. Here are the strategies we want to employ. Governor, will you help us? And you know, I remember picking up the phone and calling him one day and dealing with this issue of juvenile crime. And he says, what do you need? I told him what I needed. And we were able to stand up with his help. The very first of its kind, juvenile, uh, uh, sorry, Family Justice Academy in Prince George's County. That academy works not only with justice-involved youth, but also with their parents, with their parents. It's so important that we empower parents, that we have compassion for parents, but we are also holding our parents accountable. But sometimes our parents need help too. And so with the governor's help, we were able to do that. And those kids, we've had 33 young people in that program, and so far none of them have reoffended, and they have gotten the help that they need, and their parents have too, to make better choices. So this is the type of governor that, uh, that we have always been waiting for. Governor Moore is the governor for this time in the state of Maryland. And I think that's why you're seeing this decline, because he's listening, he's collaborating, and he's putting his money where his mouth is. How important are those resources, Mr. Bates, and how are they spent? 
No, it's very important. You know, I can give you an example. Last year, you know, I came in office and my office decimated. We had about 138 prosecutors in about 188 positions. Now, we've gone on and hired quite a few, but they don't have that experience. So if I can't have bodies in terms of new prosecutors, what can I do to lighten the load of their work? And one of the things we find out with uh, body camera footage, it's a lot of work. So it used to be that a prosecutor would get 10 cases and would be able to look at them and, and prepare their docket within a couple hours. Now those 10 cases could be almost 10 to 12 hours because they have to look at all the body camera footage. So my office had five people for the whole office that was looking at body camera footage. Well, the, what you look at is to say, well, what can we do to have a body camera footage division? And when we realized what we needed was to increase the division and to grow the division. So we reached out to the governor's office and said, how can you help us with this? And to be honest, I first you know, looked locally, but they weren't able to, and I understand that. But then the governor said, what do you need? And so we talked to the governor. He, he did what he needed to do for us. And the next thing I know, we received $1.7 million. And that we've now received, we'll go ahead and get the pens and all the local things that we need to do. That money now will allow us to hire paralegals to look at the body camera footage. So instead of my prosecutor spending an hour to two hours, a paralegal will look at it, and it might be 55 minutes of nothing but five minutes of something. They'll pin that five minutes of something, so instead of my prosecutor spending an hour per case, they now can spend 30 minutes per case or, you know, looking at it in that regard, because now they'll only look at those five minutes that are important. That's the way that, you know, we've had the governor working with us to use those resources to allow us to be better in doing our job of keeping people safe. Ms. Brayboy, let's talk about organized crime. Yeah. Well, let me just say this. I want to thank the governor again uh, for his support for my office. We get over a million dollars a year uh, to stand up a unit that specifically addresses this issue of organized crime, gangs, crews, those who are wreaking havoc on our communities. Uh, we've been able to take down several gangs throughout Prince George's County because of the help of our governor. Uh, but there's more to do because we also know that gangs don't have the traditional vertical structure all the time that we think of when we think of, let, let's say, the Bloods or the Crips or even MS-13, uh, where there's a, a hierarchy that's, uh, that, that, that's understandable. A lot of these crews are kind of loosely affiliated with each other, but they are uh, targeting young people, making, having them, you know, go do carjackings, thefts, other mm. things, um, for the benefit of older adults, um, and it is uh, creating a problem in our community. And so we are looking this session to expand uh, the gang statute so that we can go after these crews. Uh, that are stealing cars or stealing car parts so that we can hold every single person in that organizational structure accountable and, and go after, you know, them uh, with vengeance. Because to me, when you prey upon young people, have them go out and do your dirty work, uh, it, you know, we're going to hold you accountable. We'll hold the young person accountable, yes, but let's hold those adults that are instructing, giving the guns to the young people. How are these young people getting guns? We want to find out uh, who they are, and we want to prosecute them and send them where they deserve to be. Right. You know, I, I want to say this because there is an elephant in the room, and it's the media. Yeah. It's Fox News. It's us. And, you know, people say a lot about Fox News, but Fox News focused on crime and education. And I want to tell you something. Those issues, Mr. Governor, Ms. Brayboard, Mr. Bates, 
disproportionately impacts black people more than anybody else. They don't make money on focusing on crime and education, but a lot of people in the community walk up to us and say, you speak for us. It's my child in that classroom. I'm that family that's the victim. So while you may talk about what Fox does in terms of what they cover, but they put resources in a community that is often forgotten about. The media doesn't fo always focus on those issues. We can do better. I understand the headlines, but we focus on issues that makes a difference, Ms. Braveboy, in these communities. And we will never apologize for that. Now, we, we appreciate that, but just like the justice system, we also appreciate balanced reporting because we have a lot of young people in our community that are doing the right thing. We have a lot of families who are just raising the, some amazing kids. We have business owners in our community that are tremendous, that they're contributing to uh, the economy of our state. So, you know, we want to see balance. So I think that's sometimes uh, why news outlets or other organizations might get a bad rap. It's because sometimes folks don't see that balance. And sometimes they didn't see it in the justice system, which is why there was a push for reform. And then sometimes those reforms maybe went too far, or we didn't have the resources to be able to do what those reforms were asking us to do. And then we had to take a step back and say, okay, what else should we be doing? And we had to be grown-ups and say, you know what, if we fixed it, oh, sorry, if we broke it, we can fix it. And I think that's what this session is about. And that's why I'm so grateful to have a partner like Ivan Bates. There has never been before this un unity between Prince George's County and Baltimore City. And I think it's because we both went to Howard. That's what I think. You, but, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nationally, Mr. Governor, we've seen first responders killed the firefighter, the two police officers with the domestic violence. Do you think law enforcement, police officers are getting the necessary resources that they need to do their jobs? Are they living in fear? Do they stand down because they arrest this young kid yesterday and this young kid is back on the street again? No, when, we have to remember the, the debt of gratitude that we owe to these members of law enforcement. You know, the people who, when the natural human instinct is to go in one direction, they go in the opposite because they're there to help and serve and protect people who they might not who they know who they are, what their family lineage is, what their political affiliation is. Their job is not to worry about that. Their job is to make sure that they're out there saving and protecting lives. And so part of the reason that I'm, I'm grateful for the work that we've been able to do in partnership. Uh, I'm grateful for the work we've been able to do in partnership with the legislature, things like the GAPS Act, which is making sure we're addressing the, the, the crucial vacancies that we are seeing throughout the state when it comes to local law enforcement. The ability to make sure that we're getting them the proper resources that they need and the proper supports that they need. Uh, this matters because if you do not have law enforcement that moves with appropriate intensity and absolute integrity and full accountability and is actually deployed inside of communities making communities safer, then you are going to have communities that will feel less safe and communities where you continue to have the continued challenges that so many of our communities face. And to your point earlier, for the communities that are most impacted by violent crime, you know what they want? They want trustworthy law enforcement there. They want to make sure that you have law enforcement that's there to respond to the needs that they are seeing inside our community. So we have a collective responsibility, not just to honor their work and honor their service, but also to make sure that they're getting the resources that they need as we've, uh, as we've done now with two straight years of historically historic funding for local law enforcement. You know, as a business owner um, and as someone who celebrates commerce, 
You know, I know you say that if someone is 13 years old and they commit a crime, it's not a violent crime, depending on what it is. So you don't consider shutting down Target, shutting down these other stores when you go in and steal and loot and they no longer can survive in the neighborhood and you shutting these businesses down and you shutting employees down from taking care of their families? I mean, you may not see it as a violent crime, but business owners see it as a violation to them that they're not protected so they can provide service and create stability in these communities. How do we deal with these young people that go in and loot and steal with no regard? Are we going to tell them because the law doesn't hold them accountable, it's okay, so they can have free will and continue to do it? What are business owners to do? Well, that's one of the reasons why, when we look at what's going on with uh, the juvenile law, we have to look at holding young people accountable. So a lot of times I understand the diversion, and that's important, but also where's the restitution going to come from? And sometimes it may be difficult in terms of the family, but we still have to go ahead and make sure that business owner is whole. It's not only a business owner. Let's talk about all the car thefts. What about the individual that lives in that neighborhood and they're struggling? And they work a nine-to-five job, they make $15 an hour, they have to save their money for that vehicle, and that vehicle's stolen. They have to pay their deductible in terms of their insurance. They have to take off from work, they're not getting paid. Maybe they take their child across Baltimore City to school. Now that child has to catch a bus. That child stealing that vehicle impacts our families greatly. And that's something that people do not always see. I think one of the things we're so focused on our children, which is very important, but we also have to give focus on the victims because the victims Absolutely. look just Absolutely. like so many of these children. Right. And they're the people who no one hears about. They're the ones who are struggling. They're the ones, unfortunately, they can't leave Baltimore City because they don't have the money to leave. They're right there in that neighborhood. Then they're angry. Then their children are angry as their children grow up and see nothing happen to these other children. Mm -hmm. So we have to stop that cycle. We have to remember our victims. But we have to give the services to the young people but we also have to look at the young people's parents to understand what role they are playing in making sure their children are being held accountable. You know, Mr. Governor, people want accountability. That's what we want here. And I know um, this is your first time coming to Fox News. Ms. Brayboy and Mr. Bates and others have always come. I hope that you will participate more because I've never seen you stronger. <laughs> uh, I am just startled as I sit and listen to you and see your evolution. And I, I do not say it with flattery. I say it with hope because that's what people need. They need a leadership. They need a governor that, that does not respond to every whim of somebody. Because You've got to respond to moral clarity, what works, no matter who it offends. You've got to be the voice of the people. And I'm glad to hear you say that you're the people's governor, but we're glad to have you in the Fox House. And I know you've not always felt warm about us, and, and I understand that too, because sometimes we can get carried away also. But we, the main yes, thing can. is the world needs to see the media and the selected officials working together, whether it's the Baltimore, whether it's the Fox News, or whether it's my, my, now my Baltimore Sun. Yeah, and, and, I, and, and I do think it's right, because I think people are tired of the finger pointing. They're tired of the blame game. They're tired of, of everyone who's going to spend their energy telling me what's wrong and who's to blame for it instead of actually saying let's work together to be able to address it. And, and to your point, there is a point of, of media and the role the media does play in that as well to have accurate and, and fair reporting that people believe in. And I, and I do, and, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say also, um, an acknowledgement about the voices and the ownership matters.
you know, and, and I know that during a during a Black History Month, you know, you uh, and I don't want to embarrass you, but you know, you're only the, the the second Black owner of a major newspaper in the history of this country, right? Um, there's a power in that. There's a power in also understanding, and one of the things I, I respect about this moment is, you know, as as only the the, the first African American governor in the history of the state of Maryland, only the third elected in the history of this country. I also know, as you know, that making history is not the assignment. Being the first or being the second or the third, that's not the assignment. Honoring this moment, giving the people what they, what they both are asking for and need, which is just clarity at a time when the world seems very unclear, that matters. And I thank you for taking on that burden and that responsibility as well. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.